Defiance Unmasked. We feel that a patron's vaccine status is their, their personal information. A Victoria Cafe among those refusing to enforce the upcoming vaccine passport mandate. Backlash from frustrated wildfire evacuees. We're talking to people and finding out that a lot of the insurance policies don't cover unless you've got damage. Plus, the latest on a firefighter injured on the front lines. And Vancouver police need help solving a bizarre crime involving stolen gold. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Despite strong support for vaccine passports in BC, some businesses are going rogue, promising to defy the government's requirement by refusing to enforce it. Kylie Stanton tells us why they have no intention of asking their customers for vaccination cards and what WorkSafe BC says about it. <laughs> Driving by or dining in. For customers here at the Sunnyside Cafe, showing support is about showing up. They should not have to ask pe people for private information. We shouldn't uh, be discriminating against people's private uh, medical decisions. The Esquimalt Eatery, just one of thousands of BC businesses, now pushing back against the province's vaccine card, deciding it will not be asking customers to prove their vaccination status when it comes into effect on September 13th. If they want to provide it, that's fine. But for those who don't want to provide the information, vaxxed or not vaxxed, that, we feel, is their personal choice. The provincial health officer announced Monday proof of vaccination will be required for entry to non-essential indoor activities. Mostly it'll be either by phone or by showing a paper copy. And while the announcement resulted in a significant increase in appointments for first doses, the numbers are also climbing here on the BC Business Against Health Pass Facebook page, with more than 63,000 members, 10,000 in the last week. Businesses from Kimberley to Kelowna, standing together, calling the government's plan unconstitutional. Now you're asking for public health information. And to me, you know, that opens a can of worms that I'm not willing in any way to entertain. Given the concerns, the Kelowna Chamber of Commerce is asking the provincial government to delay the rollout, allowing businesses more time to determine how they can enforce the mandate. We believe the government has set a time frame that might be unrealistic uh, because there's so much ground to cover. WorkSafe BC, the agency that ensures the provincial health officer's orders are being followed, did not have anyone available to comment on camera, but did say WorkSafe BC works closely with the public health office and its environmental health officers and may conduct joint inspections with these agencies where needed or appropriate and would enforce any contraventions of the act or the OHS regulation. Yeah. Right now, we're just hoping that it doesn't get to that point, hoping that enough people speak up and figure out a better way of doing it. For the Sunnyside Cafe owners and staff, that would mean taking the onus off of them. They say they've been through enough already. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Many people in the hospitality industry are also upset that the B.C. government is not mandating vaccinations for their staff. As Aaron MacArthur reports, they accuse the government of offloading responsibility onto an industry that's already reeling from the pandemic. Eating in a restaurant, mandatory vaccine. Cooking in a restaurant, much different story. 
The provincial government saying the risk isn't high enough to mandate vaccines, leaving the decision up to individual business owners. At the Bard and Banker pub in Victoria, management making sure staff have their shots. We've given them the six weeks uh, to, to uh, make their mind up. And the policy right. does say that, that, that you know, if they uh, choose not to, um, that uh, termination is, is uh, the right of the company. But the lack of provincial oversight has left the hospitality sector scrambling. Already tasked with enforcing the passport system, now operators have to navigate their employees' status too. Many in the industry believe the government is simply downloading legal risk onto them. Getting staff vaccinated is a much more complicated legal issue. We have things like employment standards and the labor code. Uh, so we need government to provide some clear direction. Many owners won't bother with mandatory vaccination simply because they can't afford to lose any workers. The labor market is so tight, anything that might force a worker to find a new job isn't worth the hassle. Despite the apprehension, some lawyers believe employers are well within their rights to discipline or remove workers who are unvaccinated. I think one middle ground which perhaps or a step along the way for employers to do is start to get a real feel of how many people are vaccinated in their workforce, do some surveys and get a sense of what the number of vaccinations are. The landscape has changed significantly since the announcement of vaccine passports. More people are registering and booking appointments. But legal experts believe mandatory vaccinations will still ultimately end up getting challenged in court. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And here's a new poll showing growing support for vaccine passports. The Research Co. survey found between 60 and 70 percent of people in B.C. believe a vaccine passport should be required for attending sports events, live concerts, gyms and fitness facilities, and for travel within the province. Those numbers all are up since the last poll back in March. Support for vaccine passports is much higher when it comes to international travel. You have a lot of people who want to go to places and we have two-thirds of residents who believe that it's a good idea to have the vaccine passport to go to a live concert or to go to a live sporting event. Uh, we can contrast this with the success that Manitoba has had because they implemented a vaccine passport fairly early back in June. They just played a CFL game for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in front of almost 30,000 people. And here we still have busy places that have a capacity because we have been too late in getting to the vaccine passport. Checking the latest COVID-19 numbers for B.C., we have 724 new cases and a total of 5,640 active cases across the province. 149 people are in hospital, 83 of those patients in the ICU. Two more people died from complications of the virus and 75.6% of those 12 and older are now fully vaccinated. Keith Baldry joins us now with where most of these new cases are. Keith. Yeah, you know, the Center for Disease Control every week updates its maps showing on a per capita basis where the hotspots are in B.C. The darker the brown on the map, the more uh, per capita cases there are. And I can tell you right now, it's the southern interior and the Kootenays, which continues to be the hotspot in B.C. Here's a list of the towns and regions most affected. Central Okanagan, far and away, continues to have the most cases in the week of August there. But it's down 163. It's trending downwards. That's good news. But Kamloops, uh, also Nelson, Vernon, again, on the 
the interior and the Kootenays, all hot spots. And funnily enough, west end of Vancouver seems to be a trouble area. That's up 35 cases in the space of a week for 140. Also, the, the east side of Vancouver also remains a bit of a concern. The good news here, though, Chris, is the positivity rate, the per percentage of people testing positive in the interior has declined significantly. It's still very high, but it had been as high as more than 14%. Now it's about 10%, and that number's going down. So we expect the interior numbers to drop because that's where the most uh, restrictive health restrictions are compared to the rest of BC. So again, the interior uh, leads the parade, but I think they're going to be dropping because of those restrictive measures, those circuit breakers, and we should see the impact of that over the next two weeks. And it does seem like people are signing up to get the vaccine since the mm -hmm. announcement of the passport coming in. Yeah, they certainly are, but 10,000 today. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. RCMP are investigating after someone sprayed graffiti on a Catholic church in Prince George. Police say they were called out to the Sacred Heart Catholic Church early yesterday morning. Officers found the front doors tagged with the words, Every Child and the letter M. Catholic churches have been frequent targets of people upset with the church's role in running residential schools. RCMP say they've stepped up patrols around places of worship in Prince George. They are asking anyone who noticed unusual activity near the church Tuesday night or Wednesday morning to give them a call. RCMP in Chetwind are trying to find a wanted man they consider dangerous. They say Devin Miles Lindstrom was spotted driving in the area last week when officers caught up to him. RCMP say he sped off driving recklessly into traffic. Lindstrom is described as six feet tall with tattoos on his face, neck and ears. If you see him, you're asked to call 911 right away. And Coquitlam RCMP are asking for your help to find a man they believe exposed himself to women on three separate occasions. Police have released two sketches of what they believe to be the same man. In May, he exposed himself to a woman at the end of Eagle Ridge Drive near the top of the Coquitlam Crunch, a popular local hiking spot. She drove off and called police. On Saturday, police say it happened again to two more women. RCMP say the man is South Asian or Middle Eastern in his mid-40s, about 5'10", with a medium build and medium skin tone. He has short black hair and black facial stubble. Based on the description, again, police believe they are looking for a single suspect. And calling it a puzzling case, Vancouver police have recovered $12,000 worth of gold teeth. The stash of dental gold includes fillings, caps, and bridges. It was recovered by police in June. Now, they think they, uh, the seized gold may have been taken during a break-in at a dental office or the home of someone who'd been collecting dental gold. But it is possible the theft occurred in another city or province. It's quite likely uh, this gold was obtained through a crime, prob probably through a break and enter or some kind of a property crime, and likely taken f uh, not from a number of different uh, uh, places, but from one, possibly two uh, places where there, there was a, we believe, was a, a large collection of gold being stored at the time. And a suspect is facing multiple charges after a real-life man-bites-dog story in Vancouver this morning. The police dog was injured but still managed to help with the arrest. Police service dog Mando was injured in the case. It all happened in the downtown east side just after 5 o'clock. Police say a man threatened several people and kicked a resident's door. Officers tracked the suspect down. They say as he resisted arrest, the suspect bit the dog. 
The dogs that do work with our officers, they uh, are an <coughs> integral part of uh, our police department. Uh, we rely on them for our safety, for the safety of the public. They can do jobs uh, that we can't do. Uh, they protect us and they protect the public. Um, when a police dog is injured um, in the line of duty, it's no different than uh, one of my fellow officers being injured in the line of duty. International outrage over the terror attacks at the airport in Kabul. Just as Canada's evacuation mission ends, deadly explosions and gunfire rock the area. How Canadian and American leaders are responding next on the News Hour. So this is it. The rock photographer who went country, capturing every crazy moment of the Merritt Mountain Music Festival. That's coming up later on the News Hour. And what Canadian crooner Michael Bublé says about the provincial order for vaccine passports and his tour schedule coming up later. Right now, though, major developments in Afghanistan as the Taliban consolidates its grip on power. A string of apparent suicide bomb blasts outside the Kabul airport killed more than 60 people, including 13 U.S. servicemen and women. It happened just as the Canadian military ended its airbridge flights to evacuate people from the country. Ramina Dea has the latest and a warning. Some of the images in this story are disturbing. Desperate Afghans flocked to the airport to be rescued. This place of hope, now a graveyard. At least 60 Afghans, plus 13 American troops, massacred. The Taliban's enemy, ISIS-K, behind two suicide bombings at Kabul's international airport Thursday. People were thrown all over, some blown into pieces, says this witness. Thousands of Afghans, now abandoned by Allied forces, Canada's airlift mission over. We wish we could have stayed longer and rescued everyone who was so desperate to leave. Now, this is an extraordinary humanitarian crisis, but make no mistake, this is a crisis of the Taliban's making. General Wayne Eyre says Canada helped 3,700 evacuees leave Afghanistan after the Taliban swept to power earlier this month. But it's unclear how many vulnerable Afghans who were a lifeline for Canadian troops might be dead or left behind. Canada specifically has abandoned our, a large number of interpreters and other locally employed persons. And there's, there's no other word to describe it other than abandoned. Canadian veterans who served in Afghanistan tell Global News they've been screaming at the federal government for months to get people out. Justin Trudeau deflecting reporters' questions about accountability for not moving faster. We're continuing to do everything we can, both uh, to bring tens of thousands of Afghans with their families to Canada, but also to keep putting pressure on the Taliban uh, to ensure that people can leave Afghanistan uh, and come to Canada. The Taliban has ordered foreign troops out of their country by Tuesday, with democracy now obliterated. It's unclear how Canada plans on keeping its commitments. Romina Dea, Global News.
Well, the crisis in Afghanistan is dominating questions on the federal election campaign trail, with party leaders being questioned on this country's response to the deteriorating and deadly situation. Miranda Anfissel has more. Horrific scenes out of Kabul, where several deadly blasts targeted people desperate to leave the country and those helping them. On the same day Canada's evacuation mission comes to a close. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau's message to those left behind. We will continue to work in the region. We will continue to put pressure on the Taliban. Uh, we will ensure that in the coming months and years, we bring uh, over 20,000 Afghans to their new homes in Canada. When pressed on his accountability for the crisis response, Trudeau insisted Canada has done extremely well compared to its allies, but the other leaders disagree. Mr. Trudeau has wasted months with inaction and has now put us into an election when the situation has been in chaos. It's sad to say that, that Canada has failed and Justin Trudeau knew about this problem, knew about the concerns and didn't act in a timely way. And as the crisis in Afghanistan continues, Canada's federal leaders keep campaigning. The Liberals are in Quebec City, making a pitch to lift seniors out of poverty. People will see an increase of the guaranteed in income supplement for the most vulnerable seniors by up to $500, $750 for couples. While in Winnipeg, the New Democrats zeroed in on the housing crisis with several solutions in mind. We want to double the first-time homebuyer's tax credit and convert it into a rebate. So it's not a tax credit you have to wait till tax time to receive, but it's a rebate that you get right away. Back in Ottawa, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole unveiled his party's plan to help out gig economy workers like freelancers or people with short-term temporary contracts. Our plan will require companies with gig economy workers to make contributions equivalent to CPP and EI premiums into a new portable employee savings account every time they pay their workers. Miranda Anthesel, Global News. Up next, wildfire evacuees tired of waiting for help. This is not the way to treat people. I, I totally agree. Why they feel abandoned coming up. Also later, First Nations first responders. Why this crew could be a model for fighting wildfires in the future. Good evening. Counterflow is out at the Massey Tunnel and traffic has finally eased off southbound on Highway 99 through Richmond while northbound traffic is starting to ease off from Highway 17A. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A firefighter working the White Rock Lake fire was injured this morning when he fell 30 meters down a steep embankment. That fire continues to be one of BC's most challenging Crews lit 350 hectares on the fire's northeast flank Tuesday in a controlled burn, trying to bring the flames into more manageable terrain. The firefighter was working in steep terrain this morning when he was injured. The individual was working on a steep slope, and it sounds like something uh, became dislodged, and he uh, and fell down uh, kind of a, don't know specifically, but it sounds like he fell down the slope um, Upwards of 100 feet was the report that was given to me. So they were quite concerned initially with, uh, with his injuries. The injured firefighter was taken to hospital in Kelowna. The White Rock Lake fire destroyed more than 70 homes and other structures along Okanagan Lake. 
Though cooler weather might allow officials to downgrade some of those evacuation orders and alerts in the coming days. There is a lot of frustration among homeowners who have been under those evacuation orders for weeks now. Today, many of them confronted officials at the Kelowna ESS Center, upset by confusing communication about who is actually covering their expenses while they're displaced. Megan Turcato has the story. This is not the way to treat people. I, I totally okay. agree with that. Fire evacuees looking for answers about whether the government will continue to cover their expenses while they're out of their homes. They're telling us that if we have insurance coverage that we have to put it on insurance, which is terrific for people that have insurance or whose insurance covers uh, without damage. Because they're evacuated and haven't been able to return home to check on damages, some feel they're in a catch-22. We've been fighting vigorously to get in to see our properties to see if we do have damage, but we're not being allowed to do that, although media is being allowed to come in and see the properties, which makes no sense to any of the residents. Others are wondering, after multi-week evacuations, why they're just learning in recent days of the requirement to start using home insurance. I've been in communication with my insurance company this week, dealing with my freezers and fridges. I would have been able to deal with this situation and be prepared. Instead, I have a day to get my stuff together. The Emergency Operations Centre says really it's only the first 72 hours of expenses that's covered by the province, and then people should shift to home insurance if they have it. The EOC admits communication mistakes were made. There was some misinformation out there and we've provided clarity to the volunteers that are trying to be as helpful as they possibly can. And now they have clear direction that they should be going to their home insurance and we're trying to convey that. Officials defending the lack of access to the evacuation area for some residents looking to start insurance claims when media was taken on a tour. There is extreme fire behavior happening daily. We allowed the homeowners that had total loss that we could confirm to go through to take a look. Overall, the province insists that if evacuees are truly in need and don't have insurance or other sources of aid, they will continue to receive emergency social services support while they're evacuated. A representative from the province and the Insurance Bureau of Canada are expected to be at a town hall Thursday night to answer questions. Megan Turcato, Global News, Kelowna. After years of planning and training, a tight-knit group of wildfire fighters from the Simp First Nation is approved for action and has now spent weeks on the front lines of the massive Sparks Lake wildfire. And as John Waugh reports, their team is being called an innovative, all-Indigenous new model for wildfire response. Building a guard into the already fire-ravaged ground is like reopening an old wound for this crew. This is my home. I was born and raised here. I didn't want to leave it and just watch it burn. You see, each member is from the Simp First Nation. Still haunted by the sights and sounds of the devastating McClure wildfire in 2003. And the desperate decisions each resident had to make in those dark days. The government said, no, don't go. Some of us would, you know, get out there because, you know, <laughs> this is our personal property. This is our, our, our valley, our home. Some were ragtag crews dubbed the derelicts with old trucks and leaky hoses. Others contract firefighters waiting impatiently for the call. Every single one of them felt they had a responsibility to stay and fight the fire. We have a duty and a responsibility, as in our language, yachminam, the caretakers of the land, to do everything that we can to protect the land. The fire tore through Barrier and its neighboring communities, 
72 homes and more than 160 jobs were lost in the flames. Still, many here believe it would have been worse if not for those who stayed behind. My family, my community, everything up here, I was like really worried about it. And the only way to do anything about it was to get involved. Trav, you get that saw rocking. After what seemed like an uphill bureaucratic battle that spanned nearly two decades, this brave team that may have once been viewed as unsanctioned outsiders is now BC's first Indigenous initial attack crew. Maybe the province or the BC wildfire doesn't have the manpower to bring out. We do. The benefits of this arrangement, unlocking a wealth of local knowledge, from ancestral burial grounds to the back roads and topography of the land. I know in quite a few areas that pretty sensitive areas I really like to protect. Lowering. And a team that might normally be frustrated sitting on the sidelines is already proving itself as a valuable resource on the Sparks Lake fire. In all reservations, there's guys who are highly qualified to be out there firefighting, but we rarely get the call at first. They don't call us until they, it's an emergency situation. X-ray 4, bravo. Are you ready for water? The hope is many more Indigenous initial attack crews will flare up across B.C. and Canada. These homegrown heroes no longer seen as a liability but an important wildfire lifeline. John Hua, Global News, Simp First Nation. Just ahead, a major sports event hits a detour. Things were looking good up until the beginning of this week. How Stanley Park's coyote problem puts triathletes at risk. And how they track down a nest of murder hornets near the border with concerns some might be in Canada. Good afternoon, and after a very busy afternoon commute, traffic is finally starting to ease off both ways at the Lionsgate Bridge, but still seeing lineups out of North and West Vancouver on the approach. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Centre. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. In Health Matters tonight, Michael Buble is the latest performer to announce COVID-19 vaccination requirements for his next concert tour. I'll wear a mask for you. Vancouver Superstar is about to set off on a two-month tour of the U.S., after which he'll head for South America. Buble announcing today on Twitter and online that for all of his U.S. shows... All attendees will have to prove they're fully vaccinated at least two weeks before the concert or provide a negative COVID test within 72 hours of the concert. Buble says the conditions were put in place by the promoters and buildings holding the shows. And there is mounting concern tonight that some patients are being turned away from a local walk-in clinic in the North Okanagan because of their vaccination status. Jules Knox reports. I don't know, maybe if the doc can see me. When Ryan Keene arrived at the Enderby Medical Clinic for help, he was met with a locked door. So he called the office and he says the receptionist asked him if he was fully vaccinated. Why, why are you asking me that? The policy of the clinic at this time is that anyone entering must be fully vaccinated. Signs on the door confirm masks and full vaccination are mandatory. Oh my goodness, are you allowed to do that right now? So I was refused medical care in my own province, in a local community, because of my vaccination status. And Keen isn't the only one. My child is suffering. 
Judy Peltier isn't vaccinated and says she has a medical exemption for wearing a mask. She says she took her four-year-old daughter to the clinic for care, but they were turned away. She just said, like, no, like, basically just told me to leave, like, get out, and the doctor wouldn't see me. Nobody at the clinic responded to our requests for an interview, but Dr. Bonnie Henry has said that proof of vaccination will not be required for essential services like health care. The province says staff at walk-in clinics are trained to protect themselves and patients from COVID-19, so an unvaccinated patient should not be turned away based only on their vaccination status. However, depending on other details, the health ministry noted it may be more appropriate for a patient to be seen in an emergency department. She hung up on me. The emergency room is where Keane says he was told to go. They're pushing people to go to the emergency facility and uh, clogging up needed resources during a, you know this pandemic. Interior Health says this isn't one of their clinics, so they can't speak to what's happening at it. Signs on the door say it will be closed until August 30th. Jules Knox, Global News, and Derby. Up ahead, she watched the rise and fall of the Merritt Mountain Music Fest. The photographer who was there for all of it and has the pictures to prove it coming up. And how coyotes are causing a change of direction for the Vancouver Triathlon. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Coyotes are starting to take a bite out of the bottom line for businesses operating in Stanley Park. People are staying away, it's hurting tourism, and now the Vancouver Triathlon is avoiding the park altogether. Wildlife experts are still trying to figure out why the attacks are happening, and as Kamal Karamali reports, newly installed wildlife cameras are providing some valuable clues. It's a definite blow. Stanley Park's coyote conundrum causing another blow, but for the first time to a major event, the Vancouver Triathlon. The running routes that we typically have, there was a number of hot spots where the coyotes typically were, let's call it congregating. So for the hundreds of athletes that usually attend the event, there likely won't be a running component on September the 6th, just swimming and cycling. Some athletes are very upset because it's not what they signed up for, you know, but it is what it is. Organizers say the Vancouver Park Board told them to put on the brakes. There have been nearly 40 attacks in the park since December, paths blocked off by barriers and tape, signs warning of potential attacks. The conservation officer service telling people to enter the park at their own risk. We had a fair amount of uh, cancellations. Coyotes also taking a bite out of local business. The Stanley Park horse-drawn tours banks on big events like weddings. That's almost come to a complete halt. The owner frustrated by a lack of understanding. There's no way the coyotes can go after the horses. As a matter of fact, if anything, is the horses going to go after them. Meanwhile, the tea house restaurant almost completely deserted by 8 p.m. It's really, like, crazy. And fear amongst its staff, who mostly walk and bike to and from work. We can see that people are scared. So when we saw the coyote, like, about two weeks ago, I kept all my staff here for about half an hour, an hour. The guessing game continues for the Stanley Park Ecology Society. What's causing the attacks? But newly installed wildlife cameras are providing valuable clues, and the problem, it seems, is people. 
on the ground, we've been able to identify kind of wildlife feeding hotspots where people have been leaving cans of cat food, piles of dog food. As for the Vancouver Triathlon, organizers are trying to find another running route for its participants, but they say nothing really compares to the vastness of the park, meaning for now it's strictly a cycling and swimming event. Kamal Karmali, Global News. All right, let's check in with Devon, who's in for Christy today. Uh, that rain that was forecast definitely arrived today. Yeah, it was refreshing for many and much needed reprieve, especially for the interior. We've got cooler temperatures and another day in store for tomorrow. Here's a quick glance at what we're seeing. Temperatures are closer to 17 at this hour. We've had a few isolated showers. We'll still see that instability this evening and overnight. And we've got some rainfall still for eastern areas and stretching in towards the Fraser Valley. Some active weather at this hour, though, is across the central interior. We do have a few lightning strikes popping up with the risk of thunderstorms, even extending into Williams Lake and potentially near 100 Mile House. So we are looking at that instability for this evening and then easing off as we get in late tonight. Overnight and into the morning hours, we've got cloud cover, a few isolated showers. Most areas in towards the interior, it's the Columbia and Kootenai that will be the area of concern through the afternoon. And the heaviest rainfall will move in through the day on Saturday along the northern half of the province, especially for coastal areas. A bit of dip in temperatures for tomorrow it'll rebound with some sunshine in towards the weekend and similar for the interior and it's a much needed reprieve especially into early next week for the southern interior areas near Kelowna will be back into the low 20s but it warms up throughout the weekend now the northern half of the province along the coast it'll still be on and off showers a slight risk of a thunderstorm for the northeastern corners the one area of concern with lightning will be for the southeastern corners for the Columbian Kootenai and for the Thompson Okanagan we're still seeing a few isolated showers but still temperatures into the low 20s so South Coast will wake up with that cloud cover, a few isolated showers. It'll break up. We'll have some sunshine in the mix and drier conditions for the afternoon. Pleasant so far. Time's out fantastic both Saturday and Sunday. Low 20s and a bit of cloud cover and a touch cooler into early next week. All right, tonight's central windows, weather window. I had to take a double take for this one, but it's a fantastic reflection. Purden Lake captured by Hal, and that's near Prince George. Chris? Just perfect on glassy water. Love it. Thanks for sending that in, Hal, and thank you, Yvonne. Agricultural officials in Washington state say the Asian giant hornet's nest discovered last week near the U.S.-Canada border has now been eradicated. The nest was located in an alder tree near Blaine, only about 400 meters from the border. Maybe we should have put a warning on some of this video because that's gross. A crew from the Washington State Department of Agriculture vacuumed 113 worker hornets from the nest on Wednesday. Another 67 of the so-called murder hornets were captured in the area. And about 1,500 immature hornets, these little guys, were found inside the nest. They're not that little either. It was located using radio tracking tags that were attached to several of the hornets, and at least one of which did fly north of the border. The second tag uh, we have not recovered yet, and uh, there were some indications since we were very close to the Canadian border uh, that we lost the signal as we were pointing north into Canada. For this reason, uh, we worked with our counterparts in British Columbia, um, and uh, they were able to um, basically get the radio tag frequency from us and uh, do some tracking on the Canadian side of the border. And that, that second one was uh, unfortunately never recovered or relocated. And to help catch any cross-border hornets, traps baited with cat food have been set up along the Canadian side of the boundary. Who knew murder hornets liked cat food? There you go. <laughs> what is going on? Strange. Aggressive coyotes, giant hornets. Mm-hmm. 
crazy times we live in. That was some lovely video you showed us too. The sound. Like, I don't know if you can hear the background yeah, sound yeah, of those things moving around know, in the it's, hive. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not good. It's like a horror movie. <laughs> okay, so uh, our soccer women, of course, won Olympic gold. And the men are about to start the final round of qualifying for next year's World Cup. They know the, the gravity of, uh, of this moment for our country. It won't be easy, but this may be the most talented Canadian men's team we have ever had trying for the World Cup. And of course, it's led by Alfonso Davies, among others. Can't wait to watch them play. Also tonight, memories of merit. The glory years of the Mountain Music Festival captured in a new book of photographs. Squire's back. Lots of reasons to be excited about Canadian soccer again, Squire. Yes, we'll talk about that in a moment, but how about Canadian hockey? Yeah. Women's hockey. And for the first time since 2013, our women's team defeated the Americans at the World Championships. Now, it's hard to believe it's been eight years since we beat the U.S. at the Worlds, but we did today to stay unbeaten going into the quarterfinals this Saturday. Canada was a much better team. Jamie Lee Rattray... Only 5'5". Five, five. But as Yoda once said, size matters not, or something like that. And she scores there. You would know. I would know. You're right. I've been down with Yoda for a long time. <laughs> uh, that made it 3 to nothing, And she does it again. Rattray scores again. That made it 4 to nothing. And then Sarah Nurse puts in a nice shot here. Canada was up 5 nothing. They allowed a goal for the Americans in the third, and they'll play either Germany or Japan Saturday in the quarterfinals. The Whitecaps are in Victoria tonight to take on Pacific FC in the Canadian Championship game. It's not the game for the Canadian Championship. This kind of starts the Canadian Championships. It's huge for Pacific FC. They expect 5,000 fans in attendance. The Caps are taking this game seriously. They're going to start Ryan Gold for the first time since he joined Vancouver. Uh, Pacific has 12 former Whitecap Academy players. They're coached by former Whitecap Pa Mudu Ka as well. Now, it's been 23 years since Canada made it to the final round of the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, and that was back in 98. And Canada only won one of their 10 qualifying games that year and didn't come close to making it to the World Cup. But starting next Thursday in Toronto at BMO Field, Canada gets another chance as they host Honduras in their first of 14 final round qualifying games to see who can make it from this region to Qatar in 2022. Stacchio, good ball over top. It's Hoylet, Junior Hoylet, up and over and in! Canada's never had a men's roster this talented or deep ever. In the last year, they've taken down some of the top teams in CONCACAF and given teams like the USA and Mexico everything they can handle. They're not just happy to get to this level, they're ready for a major breakthrough. It's not just about qualifying, it's about you know, looking at that World Cup and bringing a new level of competitiveness into a World Cup. Yeah, it's it's the intangible that I think is, is creating a, a new mentality within this group that makes us all believe anything's possible. 
Canada's got all of its top guys for this first window of three games. Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, and Tejon Buchanan, who was so dynamic in that Gold Cup semifinal versus Mexico. Lucas Cavallini of the Whitecaps is also on the roster. He's currently rehabbing a knee injury, but John Herdman loves Cavallini's spirit and feels it's important he get Lucas onto the pitch. He's very symbolic to the journey that we've had and... Uh, he, he should be able to play a role in at least you know one or two of the games. Canada's got a real chance to qualify, something that hasn't been realistic for some 30 years. But this is more than hopeful thinking. Canada truly believes the World Cup is in their future. I think for the players, they know the the gravity of of this moment for our country. It, it genuinely is a, a turning point and a tipping point. You know, every man, every staff member just pushing um, every ounce of Canadian out of themselves to, to get us over this line. The number of Edmonton Elks with COVID has now grown to 14, of course, all coming down with it after this game against the Lions last week. And so far, no Lions have caught it. Uh, Edmonton postponed its game tonight with Toronto. They may have to postpone their game against Calgary, which is scheduled for Labor Day. Well, the Jays hope they'll get George Springer back in the lineup tomorrow. They could use him. Today they had a rough start to their game with the White Sox. They were down 9-2 at one point, but they made a huge rally. Marcus Simeon with a two-run homer, a second of the game. That cut the lead to 9-7, but the White Sox got one more home run. Eloy Jimenez with a uh, solo shot. They win it by the score of 10-7. Young Jin Rue had a rough start for the uh, Blue Jays in this one. And Vernon's Vosik Pospisil will start the U.S. Open next week against uh, 28th seed Fabio Fognini. Pospisil has beaten him in three of four previous matches. Last year, Pospisil made it to the fourth round of the U.S. Open. And Vancouver's Rebecca Marino is trying to get in the U.S. Open as a qualifier. She just has to win one more match to qualify. She hasn't played in the U.S. Open in 10 years. Good year to do it. Some big names missing from that. Yes, that's true. All right. Uh, Thanks very much, Squire. We're back with some amazing memories from the Merritt Mountain Music Festival, all captured in a book of photography. That's next. An unbelievable scene in New York City. Events that shocked us. Secret data collection. Technology that changed us. I think it's fake news. It was fake news. A possible epidemic. Disruption. 20 years of Global National. Friday, September 10th at 10 on Global. The Merritt Mountain Music Festival was a -a one-of-a-kind event, for those of you who don't know it, that attracted the likes of acts like Hank Williams Jr., Johnny Cash, Loretta Lynn, Tim McGraw, just to name a few. It's been more than 10 years since it ended, but for many, it's still a place of very fond, if not crazy, memories. And on tonight's This Is BC, Jay Durant catches up with a photographer who has captured all of the highlights in a new book. 17 years of screaming at the Merritt Mountain Music Festival. And now what became a summer tradition for so many people is captured in a new book by photographer Dee Lippingwell. So this is it. Who was always on the move, pointing her lens at basically anything that moved. It was an adventure every year. Uh, every year, you, you know, come away. <laughs> I come, I have to sleep for a week. The festival had something for everybody. There was a place for families. That's where mommy said. Lots of people would meet at Merritt, and they'd get married, and then they'd have kids. 
and then their kids would come to merit. And certainly plenty of spots for partiers. How are you enjoying the weekend? <laughs> you had your campground C, which was just crazy. That was the, uh, the restricted area, if you know what I mean. Country's top acts took the stage, and Lippingwell, who is a rock photographer by trade, was blown away by some of the stars. Everyone from Keith Urban. He came on stage and it was like, whoa, okay, I know this fellow is going to make it really big. To the legendary Johnny Cash. He sort of looked at me and I thought, I want to get a shot of him with the crowd. And he sort of went, uh. <laughs> the festival drew close to 150,000 people in 2005, a huge jump from the humble beginnings back in 1993. Looking down on the, what became the Merritt Festival site, and kind of laying it out. We could put something, we could put this there, we could put that there. To the end in 2009, after Kenny Chesney's management demanded to be paid a huge sum in cash up front. The story is that they asked for a million dollars. I don't know if that's true or not, but they just wiped them clean of all the money. People who attended have told Lippingwell the book brings back a lot of memories. And for one woman, a brand new revelation from one of those hot summer nights. She said, I can't thank you enough because some of this stuff, she said, I don't even remember seeing Dwight Yoakam. Jay Durant, Global News. There's a lot of people that might have fuzzy memories about what went on at that music festival. And listen, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that you want to share, just email your ideas to j at this is BC at globalnews.ca. I'm guessing there were no campground C photos there, eh? Well, you know, there might be in there, but there's... Hidden. People at home might be wondering, why was it canceled? Well, it, it's, it was debauchery. Let's be, <laughs> let's be honest. Last word on weather before we go. We still have a chance for some showers, and then it'll brighten up towards the afternoon. A touch cooler, especially in the interior, and then it'll warm up over the weekend so far. Nice timing. Okay, thanks very much, everyone, for watching. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a great night. Yeah.